not over. 86,000 more seconds, it's a new day. What you think this was? Wrote up on a challenge and you think you're gonna walk away? Nah, time's on your side. Time is the reason that you are alive. Master your purpose, you master your time. Stay in the bed or you get up and cry where you watch it. I got to do this for my daddy who ain't living for my family and my county. Cause they told me that they counting on me. And I'ma make y'all proud. Days like this can't hold me down. Power in my voice, even more in my crown. Blue and rap did it now, give you this sound. Health professional. Mm -hmm. This is Jared and Maya Pittman. Hey! <laughs> Drop one of Clues Bombs for me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for day? having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. How has your Monday been so far? We're just going, you know. Whew. What can we say about Monday that hasn't already been said about? Never mind. <laughs> it was a typical Monday, you know. Uh, I feel you on that. I think we all anticipated being home in the snow, but you know, uh, we got a, a light dusting on Friday, and so Monday we had to break out the the books and, and drive to work. So uh, it's it's been a great great weekend, great day so far. Um, there's some emerging issues here in Pitt County re resolving some some eligibility for a local high school athlete. So I've dealt with that today. Okay. Okay. Other than that, man, um, it's pretty uneventful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, um, I prayed for just enough snow to cancel work, but I still need to get on the road. I was actually in Raleigh. I'm not Raleigh. I was in Charlotte this weekend for my best friends on um, bachelor weekend. So. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Today, all I'm, <laughs> all I'm saying is Monday was rough. For a different reason, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but you know, here we are, man. Here we are. I took half a day at work, so I could finish to pay what it was due last night. So nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess work. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we kind of jump right into it, man. Um. Tell us a little about you guys. I know that you met at Carolina. Let's go Hills. It's been a rough season for us. <laughs> it's been a rough season. How have the Pittness been dealing with the nonsense of yes, enlightenment this season? Golly. Are you talking about the season in general or the Tar Heel season? The Tar Heel season. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we eat, sleep, and, you know, breathe Carolina Blue, Tar Heel. And so it's really brought up that whole concept of, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You rolling, we rolling, you know? Yeah. So we we may not watch the game, but we definitely have it on, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know? And we just we, – we bearing down because once – the thing about Carolina is they may go through a rough patch, but we know that that's a cycle. The good is, is around the corner, so – the last time we were that this, and I don't even want to say we're bad because people forget that we were number one for maybe a week or a half a week. Um, we still have some of the best players in the country, and we're still Carolina in the, the day. But people forget, you know, the last time we were this bad was in Darteries last year, and he had a few freshmen by the name of McCants and Felton and Williams, and then you know that next season. Mm -hmm. So we had to go through this darkness to to wake up in 2021 or 2022. We're hosting another Raptor, I think number six at this point. You know, we're going to look back at this Cole Anthony tenure at, uh, at UNC and still be proud of what we've done. Absolutely. We've been in games, and then we gave it away. Yeah. There are some Division One teams that never are in games. And I'm happy for what some, some local teams are doing, but, you know, we're still Carolina. So, yeah. 
This is what it is. We <laughs> need though, baby. He said my Sedona. That's all we need. <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. That's the response we expected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Tar Heel fan, um, but you know, at the same time, I'm a pirate. So yeah, let me ask you how that works. I meet a few people every once in a while, and my big, my brother, he's an NC State alum. But he's a huge Duke fan. I have other friends who may have gone to like Georgia Tech or maybe even like Anti or ECU, and they have a favorite college team. Right. And that kind of blows my mind because it's not like professional sports, right? Some states don't have teams. Some places don't have. How do you rectify the fact that you went to the school for four and a half, maybe five years? You wore, you got all these free purple shirts at, at games. You, you God knows. Brown and overwhelming all this purple and gold, and yet you look me in the face and say, you know what? I'm still a Tar Heel fan. All right, so I'm gonna think real. It's real simple. You think about you mentioned pro sports, right? You have yeah. large markets, and you have small markets. <laughs> I did not know there was an East Carolina University. I did not know it existed until I got to high school. Okay. So my entire upbringing it was choose your blue, Duke yeah. or Carolina. Makes sense. So you know, I picked. I chose my blue. Yeah. It makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Well, I'm from the East, so we've always known about East Carolina, and I think under some certain circumstances, I would have thought about going and attending ECU. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great school, and I think for the time I really started watching college football, for a while, you all had the best football team in the state. So, mm -hmm. always, when I hear someone at ECU or maybe at like a – you know, I think a, a comparable Division One program, I always kind of talk to myself, like, you know, how come you aren't pulling for your own team? But – I get it. You know, maybe you yeah from the side of the state, so um, maybe. Also, we know we ain't good at basketball. It's okay to be. It's okay to be a Tar Heel fan. I've been to a few games this year. You all know that. We we beat Temple last night, though. So we'll oh, wow. take whatever we can get at this point. Right. <laughs> so you guys met in college. Tell us a little bit about that experience and how we get here to today. <laughs> There's always a his side, her side, and the truth, but the truth is... Uh, okay. Is the truth your side? Right, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, but we we actually... Jared's a year ahead of me, so I'm class of 09, he's class of 08, and he just so happened to be an RA in my building. And, you know, Carolina is set up in north or south. You either live in the north or you live in the south. Black people just so happen to live in the South. So mm. that's where you get to see everything. So he was the RA in one of my uh, Hinton James dorm building on South Campus. And I would see him, but we really met at an audition for a poetry, uh, spoken word theater group on campus called ERI, Ebony Readers Onyx Theater, through the Black Student Movement. And so we just kind of connect through there, became friends, started hanging out. And then I just sh shot my shot one day. And here we are. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I pulled up real smooth, you know, asked her what her interests are, who she be, what, what numbers to dial, things that make right. sense. <laughs> um, now, that's pretty much what happened. I, we were in the same group, and you know, when we're doing these uh, skits and we're going over our plays and our poems, Maya just intrigued me because I thought she was just so talented, right? You know, whatever we were doing, she was clear to me that the best poet, the best actor, the best voice. But, you know, when you're working that close with someone, it's almost somewhat more of a 
familial relationship. You think of someone in that organization that's very close and close knit as family. So a uh, circumstance presented itself where I needed to borrow someone's laptop. And every time, every incoming freshman class at UNC gets a, a different laptop. Just, just so happens that Maya's laptop allowed for the copy of DVDs. My little 08 laptop did not. So mm -hmm. not to say that we were burning or illegally recording things on DVD <laughs> on university laptops, but Lama. so I called her and um, found out that she gave me the wrong number. So that's kind of where it started. And I was a little disappointed. And I, I called a friend who happened to be with Maya at the time. And I said, man, put Maya on the phone. Let me talk to her. I said, why did you, you give me the wrong number? And she, of course, denied it. And we had a good <laughs> laugh about it. And uh, <laughs> later that saying, we would just kind of start kicking it and hanging out. And uh, she couldn't get enough of your boy. So here we are. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Shoot, OK, OK. <laughs> 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 no, but I think, but, but you know that. Uh -huh, here we go. Here my we go. observation, his observation was me, was me in the poetry group. But my observation of him was just outside of activity. Like, you don't see black men being RAs. You don't see, you know, the seriousness of when is class and I'm on my way here. And so that was intriguing to me. You know, this idea of who's this person who's clearly taking his academic life extremely seriously. You know. Um, so yeah, that meeting in, in a group where you have to be vulnerable and step outside of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. I think that kind of just like brought it all together. Yeah, okay. and I think you guys hit on something else here as well. Um, the importance of being actively engaged and involved on campus. Student organizations, um, you know, campus living or res life. Tell us a little bit about your experiences there and how that kind of shaped and formed you all as people. When you're attending a predominantly white institution as an African-American, I think at the time, African-Americans were about 13% of the population of students at UNC, okay. which is not a lot, but you know, it's it, in certain pockets, it might seem, you know, just like just enough. Um, so one of the few ways that you can, you know, not feel overwhelmed by the majority that you can feel like you have a voice is that you can become active on campus. You know, in, in some huge 500 person class, yeah, you are just a few, maybe a few black dots in the, on the roll or just a number. But once you go to a smaller class or you take on an extracurricular activity, you're going to find yourself in the company of, at the very least, people who think or do the kind of things that you do. But if you're lucky, you'll find yourself with people who also look like you. Mm -hmm. So in joining a Ebony Readers Onyx Theater Poetry Group, a spoken word acting troupe that's uh, at the time was 100% African-American. That was a, my first experience in dealing with a, a social circle of people who enjoyed doing the same things that I did, who had the same sense of humor, who had the same classes. And, you know, even before joining an organization or fraternity, that was my, my first taste of what it felt like to be in a social network of people who were like-minded and like-colored. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and for me, like, and it's hard, right? When you work in higher ed and you go to a different university, it's hard not to compare. Right, yeah. But both that were integral to just development. So for me, like, I mean, off gate, I just noticed how anything that they offered students at UNC, they offered for black students. If there's an orientation, there was a black orientation, Frio. If there's a mentorship group for, you know, Tar Heels, there's a black one. 
And so there was never a time, there, there, were, there were no cracks in my connection. Okay. You know, I remember being, you know, in orientation and then going to the black orientation. And then I remember moving in and within about 30 minutes, some, someone's knocking on my door telling me that they're my black student movement mentor. And so it immediately created this culture of involvement. And, and you quickly realize like, man, if I'm going to get to know people, I'm going to have to be involved. But there's also a cultural shift because my, the summer before my year going to college, Facebook came out and it was a situation where you don't have anything but a profile picture, mm-hmm. very slight information. And so it forced you to go out and meet these people yeah. digitally, right? Yeah. I think that's really what fostered the, oh, well, what do you do? Oh, what's this group? Where's this? And so there's this activity and I see students right now who, you know, for whatever reason, culturally, generationally, the computer becomes this wall for them now, as opposed to this gate, this vessel, you know? Um, And so it shaped me in terms of knowing that if I'm going to be able, if I'm going to connect to a community, I have to go make the connection. Yeah. Right. In person. My first day at UNC, I went to a coworker, my other black coworker, at the time, Jay wasn't there yet, and said, hey, didn't know him from a fly on the wall, who do I need to meet, mm-hmm. right? I got that that from not just my family, but Carolina. You need him to go and make connections. Right. So it all played in there, um, and it's so funny how we get to even levels now, like today with, with Jared's legal activities, there are these pieces of Carolina that just come up. Did you do this? Did you do this? Um, so it's, it, it definitely is the gift that has kept on giving. I would say learning how to network, learning how to connect, seeing involvement as like your best, your the gateway to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's very interesting you talk about like the indoctrination that happens of coming to Carolina and having all of these uh, support groups that kind of are created for you, and then some that I'm sure you guys kind of created yourselves. We didn't really have that at ECU. No. Like there was one orientation and you through Facebook, um, dating ourselves now, right? But AOL Instant Messenger, these were how we found our people. Yeah. Um and in the in the yard. Right. In the yard. Oh, oh, there they go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um one of Coop's best friends I actually met at orientation. We were actually roommates of orientation. Um, yeah. But well, they was in his group called the Fab Five. He couldn't tell them nothing. <laughs> Fab Five. We're the Fab Five, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just one of those things where I think we had to work a little bit harder to find those connections. But at the same time, once you found those connections, like literally these individuals were inseparable. Yeah. Um, I actually saw Tremaine at a um, conference last week. Um, which shocked the heck out of me. We're at Carolina, and um, he now works at NC State, and he was there to support some of his students that were there presenting. Um, but it was, like, so great to see this dude that I hadn't seen in quite some time because essentially the way it operates now is, like, if you don't see somebody at homecoming, you might not see him for several years. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, and that's a whole experience in itself, right? right? Like, I don't know what homecoming is like for you guys at um, Carolina, but we essentially have our own black everything for homecoming. homecoming. We yeah. don't come for the game, though. 
It ain't for the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll give it another year or two. But, you know, that's just the experience that we've had here. Um, there's nothing I would ever take from it or, you know, take away from it. But it's just been really great to see that we've been able to forge relationships and things have continued to progress and grow. And like I said, everyone that we've had on in season three were individuals that we met through these experiences. Mm, and yeah. it's crazy, crazy now how at the university, the stuff we do in our offices, we do to reach them on social media. It's no, it's no push to get them outside of it because we want to reach them where they are. And yeah. so I, mean, I get that, but sometimes you lose that organic connection building mm-hmm. because of the social media barrier, so. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely. I'm glad we did, I mean, I'm glad we had it in the way that we had it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, from a humanistic standpoint, how are you, how else are you supposed to respond to that much of convenience, you know, when it comes to communication and connection, like, you know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, obviously, um, the law firm and the, um, the counseling thing now, like, where did that all kind of come from? Where was that birthed out of? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it looks like yep. it's yeah. life. Yeah, life has a, a funny way of putting you exactly where you need to be not in a million di- years would I have ever planned on taking on the I don't know it's just a lot of work to start your own firm just regard to registering the firm uh, you know getting clients yeah. managing clients managing income managing expenses um, you know just an opportunity presented itself uh, and then once you've been practicing law for a while, you you already have a an idea of the things that you have a willingness to do with some things that you don't want to have anything to do with at all. Mm-hmm. Law, you know, once you have a law degree and have a law license, the world is really yours. I know some people who went to law school and, and don't practice law, but work in kind of a policy interpreting, mm-hmm. interpreting field, or they might be a legislator or work with a legislator. Just, you know, there's several things you can do with it. Um, I never saw myself as an adjunct professor, but again, an opportunity presented itself, and it turns out I'm, I'm I think I'm a I'm not a bad teacher, a college professor. Uh, so uh, if I can encourage anyone out there uh, who doesn't have an, a fixed idea about what they want to do in the future, just keep living. Life has a funny way of showing you exactly where you need to be and what yeah. you need to be doing, and uh, all you have to do is keep you know. But you have to give God a vessel to to work with. You can't yeah. just do anything. You can't just be sitting behind a, behind a computer or sitting on the couch. You got to get out and stick your neck out and join things, learn things, network. And then you'll know when the right opportunity presents itself, it'll be clear to you. And starting a firm and doing the things that I'm doing now, it was clear to me that that's what God wanted me to do right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and this is so crazy because he'll make things happen, you know? So I even think about the series of events that were put into place after the campaign, just from campaigning. Mm-hmm. that put our lives in a in a place, right? Um, and then for me, I think there was just a shift with recognizing purpose, knowing what I enjoy doing, but kind of not highlighting the vision of my life mm-hmm. a little bit more. So th- this whole concept of, okay, if, if you, in a perfect world, and if you're to close your eyes, what do you see yourself doing? And how can you design your life around that? And my vision is me on a beach with a coconut and my daughter just having finished doing 
work remotely. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, there's some autonomy that I have to create if I'm going to foster that. And so that's where the practice for me came up. Cause I, again, never in a million years considered entrepreneurship, business, none of that. Um, but I think Jared's shift showed me about the possibilities of life rather yeah. than, okay, this is how it, this is how it's going to be, you know? And so I think we're embarking on a new journey where it's like, dang, like, you can really make some moves and do what you want to do in terms of life satisfaction, you know, if you just do it. Yeah. Um, the great thing about being married to an, an attorney is he knows about all the paperwork and forms. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a true helpmate in the sense of what would, what would it, who, who challenges you in a way to say, what would your life look like if you did this? Mm -hmm. What would you need to do? How can I help you? You know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that if I didn't have that push, I would be in this position. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. one of the things that has stuck out to me the most um, with the two of you, but Jared in particular, being a young black man and saying, I see... I see a need, uh, see something needs to shift here and I'm going to run for an election. <laughs> I don't know how Coop felt about it, how others felt about it, but I know for me, you're talking about opening up the world of possibilities for someone else. Mm. Just seeing him take that step and to really to see how many people rallied around yeah. him in making that step. I was like, damn. We talk about legacy on this podcast all the time. But that right there, I think, will speak volumes decades from now of mm. here's someone that saw a system that needed fixing. It's operated as a um, you know, a prosecutor for years, yeah. made his life out of it, and said, I think I'm better served somewhere else and made that leap. And I just appreciate you for that. Mm. I don't know if you have enough time on your podcast to fully <laughs> jump into It's one of those things. Even today, uh, I was doing an interview with a local news agency regarding that issue we spoke about before with the high school kid and eligibility and all that thing. And I normally would just be biting my nails and being so nervous about being in front of a camera knowing that it's going to be transmitted to thousands of people that I'll never see. And you get this one take and you got to be, you have to be, you know, knowledgeable. But yeah, you want to come off as being personable. You want to sound like you know what you're talking about, but you don't want to be. A, that, I, that, two years ago, that would have driven me insane. I think I called Mai the first time that they wanted to interview me about something prosecutorial related. Today, I couldn't wait to get out of my car and talk <laughs> to this woman and give her my side of the story, the coach's side of the story about what was going on. I need to add that, you know, that process of running for office, it brings things out of you, good and bad, that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to accomplish or been able to see for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I do encourage people that if you have any interest at all of doing something, do not let race or age be a, a, a determining factor about whether you should do it. Okay. You know, that's a that's a, a place of comfort that I've arrived in the last three or four months. A year ago, 
in this county in this region is you know like you said there was a following and i wouldn't i wouldn't have had as much confidence or just stay stay to it to this did i say it stay to it tennis sure <laughs> if i had not had such a strong following had a, had a wife to support me had friends to support me but I got to tell you the truth is a lot of people that weren't happy to see my name on that ballot, weren't happy to see my face at events. Right. And that's something that you have to be able to at peace with. And that's something that I've struggled with. And, you know, people in these kind of places, you know, how do I say this? <laughs> I, I want most kings get their head cut off. Hey, talk wow. about it. Come on. Most people that try I mean, to advance the best of themselves, they want to advance. People come for you, right? If you want to know who your friends are, run for office. Right. Mm. You want to know what you're made out of, run for office. If you want to know who's really going to stand for you, ask them how much they're willing to donate to your, your, your campaign. You'll, you'll learn so much about people and what it means to be a person in this world today. So, I mean, um, I'm glad I ran for office. It was a great experience. I would not regret it. I would not regret doing it again if an opportunity presented itself. But just know that with, with coming with those challenges to be a martyr, to be a, an example, to be a trailblazer, you're going to get some rocks thrown at you. Absolutely. You're going to get some allegations against you that weren't warranted. And um, the good news is that if you make if you make it out, when you make it out to the other end, you're going to be a much better person than before. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think to that point, Jay, we appreciate you saying that because I think what really fueled us throughout the whole thing, <laughs> and it's so crazy because it's like people really have no idea <laughs> the... <laughs> You know, we're like you said, we're young people. I mean, we mm -hmm. young, but we young, young, you know, and we're running into these lessons for the first time that blew our minds. We <laughs> didn't know that there were black people who didn't support other black people. Let's, we didn't let's, know. Let's for one second. <laughs> yeah, that's this. No, we didn't that's a, know. That's a, whole, that's, a whole, that's a whole show, Jay. Call me back next week. That's a whole show. <laughs> black folks that don't support other black folks. We didn't know that, you know people are supporting you maybe only when it's when they're getting something out of it mm -hmm. and so you're running into all these lessons that are hurtful in the process but that you you don't have time to 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 process yeah you have to keep going and so it became a kind of a running joke like did you sleep good tonight <laughs> meaning to say we know why we're doing this and we know who we're impacting and i had an old coach of mine old track coach of mine in high school shout out to coach harden new principal at Southeast Raleigh High School who called me and said, hey, I want to ask you about a kid who has Jared Pittman's campaign on his resume. And I'm like, see, how well did you sleep tonight? You know, like, we, we, what, what's the most popular thing isn't always, you know, what's the saying? The character, your, your character, it's not about what's doing what's popular, it's about what doing what's right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in doing what's right, it's not going to be popular. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And, and, but but we slept good at night, mm -hmm. knowing that we were doing the right thing and that the people who supported us supported us. And, and that was just it. But biggest, I think biggest life lessons ever that we've probably experienced together thus far, awesome. that campaign. So yeah, but we appreciated your support and like people like you, we would reflect on each night. Like, look, we got look at these people who are supporting us. They're in our corner. They're they're there, mm -hmm. you know. And and to a point that we were discussing earlier, most of my diehard ride or dies were people who were not born and raised in Greenville, Pitt County. Right. That uh, I, I like what ECU's doing. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of most of the programs and the people I meet there. 
but I would be lying or remiss if I tell you that I didn't think that a lot of things were culturally lacking as far as spaces for African-Americans, uh, the protests by African-Americans and how they're received. Mm-hmm. All of those things, they're so foreign to me because at UNC it never happened. Not, not to say that racism didn't exist at UNC. We didn't have moments of, you know, wow, that was racist. But when we reported, like, you know, 12 band members or 14 band members protested the national anthem here at ECU, they had rocks, they were chasing the bathroom, had mm-hmm. beers thrown yeah. at them. Yeah. A similar protest occurred at UNC the same season. I mean, they might have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. People were just so happy that these students took a stand for something. Right. I'm certain that they had people that were upset, but like the university, there was no public response or release about these students did something wrong. Right. The community as a whole, like this is this is nice. This is we appreciate what you all tried to do today. Yeah, co- mm-hmm. cultural differences. Like the, the culture here said Jared was way too young to be running for judge. It but wasn't his turn. If you turn. knew how many people to our face, you, you you're way ahead. You're too young. You're only 31, 32. And then we went to Charlotte. And our good friend who's a U.S. attorney was like, here, they'd have been like, what What took you so long? Mm-hmm. So we were battling this culture that was not in line or congruent with our personal values. And just call mm-hmm. the state, there, there was a, t- a 32-year-old judge who was elected here just four or five years ago. You know, I, I joke with people all the time, we're the same height. You know, he, he played college <laughs> sports, I love sports. You know, he loves shot and kick, I love shot and kick. If you all had to guess what the difference was between that 32-year-old and this 32-year-old, what would you say? It's like it's too real. It's not Come on now. Do <laughs> we even got to say? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And, and I think that's one thing that I've had to become accustomed to in my professional career. Um, when when ahead. you're a student, it's one thing, right? Like, mm. you play the game, you figure it out, uh, yeah, you you're here, they're glad you're they're excited for you to be here. As an employee, <laughs> it's yeah, it's like, oh, this is great. But um, and like I said, just the just the culture here. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually speaking with someone earlier today from Appalachia, um, Appalachia State in, you know, rural Appalachia. Um and my, you're like from the Asheville area, right? So you probably get some of this. Um, I live there from Raleigh. Just I was about to say, she's out of, you saw that, you saw that. <laughs> but, no, I did live, yeah. I lived in Asheville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll get some of this, right? Like the outskirts, Eastern North Carolina, Western North Carolina, very different than Raleigh, very different from even Greensboro. Um, and there's just cultural things that, it's hard to shake or shake up around here because it's so ingrained. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just looking at just the work that I'm trying to do in the recovery space mm-hmm. are many ideas that I've taken from metropolitan areas and trying to bring them here for some more progression and more of this and more of that. And thankfully, most of what I've put out in the universe has grabbed hold and we've been able to do some really amazing things. But that's not always the case. And it's just that whole thing of, we just move at a different pace out here. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's wild to kind of see it, but yeah, like like Jared said, like doing the popular thing. It's not always. Just, yeah. Doing the right thing ain't always right. popular. Doing the right thing isn't always popular. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so shifting gears, what inspires y'all? 
to just what to just be what inspires you your person your being just you as a person what inspires me as a person I mean, my, and this is this sounds like a cliche answer but my my and i think i, I would go as directly to say as my parents but my family i have I have assumed major cultural and familial responsibility in terms of the recognition that everything I do is going to be a representation of something that I'm connected to. And so I'm heavily inspired by the people around me or who have come before me that have literally moved mountains and stones for me to be here. And I mean, to me, that's the biggest inspiration because it's kind of like, it's it's facilitating the continuation of these bridges and these stones. You know, it's like, I, I, I have only been able to step where things have been placed. Now I can do the placing. Mm, that's good. And so that, that inspires me so much, you know, and even just being, you know, you can't stand next to a man like Jared Pittman and just be, come in any kind of way right, right. <laughs> you know like it inspires me to be in full recognition that with new levels there's new devils so you need to rise and continue to keep rising and so it's literally the people around me who have just done amazing things and who are like continuing to do amazing amazing things that's that's the ultimate inspiration for me yeah i wish i had some as deep as what mine said <laughs> obviously gave me a lot of but um you know, growing up from a very remote and kind of rural county, you're not exposed to a whole lot of things. And I think my mother and parents did a great job of making sure that I, I knew there was a, a community outside of Halifax County, outside of, you know, Eastern North Carolina. And I, you know, I don't know how much religion you all discussed on the show, but I just, you know, I've had dozens of moments over the last 20, 30 years where it was like, man, God has to be real. Yeah, mm-hmm. because doors open for me that maybe they should not have opened or things happen for me that maybe someone was more deserving of. So what pushes me is like, well, I don't want this dream to stop. I don't want things, you know, if there's more to be done and more to be accomplished, I don't want to stop. So it, it drives me to figure out, well, what can I accomplish today? You know, what difference in someone else's life can I make? So, so I, I guess that's the, 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 when you say what drives you, what, what makes you what you are, I, th- I think, you know, obviously we want to be the best husband and son and brother that I can be for my family. But on top of that, I, I just want to make sure that when God checks on me, hopefully de- decades from now and says, you know, what did you do with what I gave you? I want to be able to tell them that I, I, did, I did everything I could with what you gave me. I, I did it all. So, you know, I, I, that's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, it's 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 it. Our conversations, because we talk about this stuff a lot, have been largely around like history. Like, what what have you been able to do before? What have people in your position been able to do before? How have they done it? Like, I, I keep a picture of Ruby Bridgers in my office, where the one where she's in between, you know, these government officials going mm-hmm. to school. When I have a hard day, I'm like, there's a freaking six year old girl one day who got up and walked through a freaking what they call it? like a just a mob. Yeah. yeah to go to school and I'm over here, you know, pouting because it's 9.30. That inspires me. Right. Because it snowed in right now, the whole Greenville, so you got to go to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like people have freaking died trying to be here, girl. 
So that that's an inspiration to me. Yeah. You know, I was in Charlotte this weekend, and um, at the Hornets game, they honored the um, 60th anniversary of the Greensboro Fort. Mm. And to think about these young men being 17 and 18 years old, starting a movement the way that he did, it makes you stop and yeah. just really just take it in. Um, you've heard me say it time and time again, you know, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This university, this university here has stood since 1907, and the first black graduate is still living. Mm. What that long ago? Like, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, won't come back to campus. She's still living. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Um, but again, I have multiple degrees from here. He's working on his second degree from here. You know, I was talking with a student whose um, entire family has come to ECU. And I'm like, I want that type of legacy for my family. You do or don't? I do. I absolutely do. Um, when my niece and nephew were born, the first thing they got from me was, ECU t-shirt. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not that I'm opposed to any of the schools, but you talk about generational just wealth and legacy. Like, why can't we have that? Yeah. Why can't my grandkids decide to go to ECU because everybody in his family for the last two generations with the ECU. Mm. Um, yeah, like these are the type of things that I think about on a regular basis. Um, for sure. And like I said, I don't know necessarily where my, what my legacy will be, but as Jared kind of said earlier, like I want to know that when I'm, when it's all said and done, I did the best that I could with what I had. And I'm going down fighting. Right. I'm like, I'm like Wilder, you know. Oh, God. Mm. <laughs> Please not. Uh, not right now. <laughs> you want Jesus thrown in the towel. Like, you <laughs> doing real good. You was doing real good. Well done. Yeah. Well you done. want Jesus thrown in the towel the seventh round. <laughs> Come on with me. Yeah. Golly. My son. <laughs> in Black History Month. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. He, you know, he was very respectful. He took that L. He had to. Like you spoke. <laughs> 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 he did, you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, you look closer, my brother. <laughs> we had a, a, a bigger boxer who was choking him and squeezing him. And that's, you know, that's, that's been the history of, the, of our people from, from day one. Okay. No, okay. Okay. Yeah, man. I mean, but one of the things that I do take away from that fight, you know, this was the rematch. And Theory had said somewhere in the hype of the media stuff, he figured out Wilder in the last two rounds of the first fight. And it ended up being a draw. Mm. He took what he learned and applied it 
through that entire fight. Never switched it up. Stuck with the game plan and saw it to the end. And Wilder didn't have an answer for it. But Fury studied. While Wilder was out, just continue to do his thing, like, I mean, there's there's a few lessons there, but yeah. um, just hearing that, like, no, like, he figured it out. He didn't get the victory initially, but he stuck with the game plan, and ultimately he got the win. No one has ever made Wilder box in the way that Fury made him box. No. Right. If any of those punches that, Fury, uh, that Wilder landed in the first rounds, that one-two combo that he's known for, mm-hmm. you know, anybody else would have been on their back. But I think you're right. Fury had a game plan. He's a. I think everyone, by all accounts, would say that he's a superior boxer, and he made Wilder box. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that Wilder's not good at. So um, I ho- hopefully Wilder continues to do it. And they, they said that it's written in the contract that they have a a three-peat or a third oh, yeah, rematch. Absolutely have to, have to. And I think he's gonna need at least a year to get ready for that one. But you know, we'll see what happens. Now, but you know, I think. And this is completely left field, but Wilder almost reminds me of Kimbo Slice. He's a street fighter. Mm. He just happens to be bigger and a little bit better than most that he's stepped up against. Um, and we'll see how long that lasts for him. But last night or this weekend, he definitely met his match. Yeah, and it's like there was a, there was that statement that kept coming that was like <clears throat> Wilder only he he's got a second or two seconds to be perfect. If, if he's got that second or two seconds to be perfect, mm-hmm. it's over, right? Mm-hmm. Then in turn, talking about Fury, just basically he's got – I think it hit to your point. Like There's a, a clear difference between what it means to prepare and be prepared and what it means to prepare and just hope for the best. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't want to go in no fight open. <laughs> like, I want to know. I'm a win. I want to know. I want to at least be able to fully rely on more than two seconds of perfection. You know, so that in itself was was very interesting because it was like, you know, you're holding your breath like on this on this entity of hope when it's like, we know that. Yeah. I don't know. What did Were you all surprised how big Fury looked compared to Water? I didn't realize he was 6'9". Yeah, me either. To, yeah. He, I mean, I thought man looked like, like a, yeah, like an ogre out there fighting. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, nah, you know, and he used that to his advantage. He leaned on that boy every chance he got. You all didn't think that was a bit exciting. I mean, I know he got a point taken away in maybe the sixth round, but him grabbing him by the neck and squeezing him. I think that was a bit much. And the licking of the blood and all that was just, oh, okay. Well, and we had a bet at the house about who would do the most. Both fighters are known for taunting, so I, yeah. I, I thought that was comical. I didn't, I didn't take that any kind of way. But after a while, after the fifth round, I thought Wilder's corner would have given him some tips about bobbing and weaving or maybe doing something to kind of... Trying to survive at that point. They were hoping to. Yeah, they were hoping. (laughs) But I think that also says something, you know, if there's another message in this, who's in your corner? When When you're out in a fight and you don't have anybody around you that can give you some guidance... If y'all don't know by now... Jay is an unofficial preacher, so he found a message for everything. <laughs> that, so, what you say was a that sounds like a like a, a pastor's sermon. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. In your corner. Who is uh-huh. in your corner? <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't know. Sermon series on YouTube. Right. Right. <laughs> right. 
it's wild, man. Like we sat and watched. Cold Corner was quiet. Yeah. His cut man won't clean them up. I'm like, what are they there for? How do you end around bleeding and walk back out still bleeding? <laughs> like, what are they there for? Just like, come, just come on, come on, come on. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just breathe, you're gonna make it. Just breathe, you'll be all right. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Um, as we wrap up here, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. But, uh, I just what is one thing you would like to leave with our listeners? Whether it's something that you learned outside the classroom or just something you picked up along the way, what is something you like to leave our listeners? Dang, um. This has been a rough year, man. On, on March 30th, we'll be celebrating, not even celebrate, just remembering uh, Nipsey Hussle's passing. Yes. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Bean Bryant left this world with his daughter. Absolutely. And I, I can think of maybe a handful of other examples of celebrities, even just close friends who have left this world, we can all agree, much sooner than we expected, much sooner yeah. than, you know, but obviously God has a plan for everyone and uh, his will is perfect. But I read a quote shortly after the campaign, back when I was really feeling like, man, I don't know, was that a good idea that I let the people down? Should I have done more? Should I have not done it at all? And the quote said, life is much too short. If you have a chance, if, you, if there's something that you want and there's a chance that you can get it, then you go for it. And that's just something that has, I think 10 years ago, that would have frightened me. It's like, you know, well, you got your whole life ahead of you. Why, why, you know, why risk things that, that are unnecessary? You know, why, you know, but after things have unfolded the way they are, they have for so many people and uh, just watching the world kind of develop in the, in, the, in the direction it's going, you got to go for it. You got to go for it. And I'm not saying jump out and do things before you're ready or do things that you don't have any practice or any background in, but you know inside of you what God is, you know, instilled in you, what your lessons are, what the kind of person you are, and what you can take and what you can't. And obviously some things that you have to overcome will, think, will be things that surprise you. Overall, if there's anything in this world, anything that you want for yourself, whether it's that girl across the yard that you've been waiting to talk to, or you know, maybe some new class that you, or a new skill that you want to develop, or maybe a job that you're not qualified for, just go for it. Just go for it. Life is much too short for, for someone to tell you to wait. Just go for it. Yeah, I mean, on that same note, just the idea that... <clears throat> the things that pay off the most are not going to be comfortable at all. And it's like, there's this, I think I had mentioned this once on my platforms, but I, I observed so many people taking their feelings or their conditions as direction. Mm. Right? It, and it's just kind of like, we can't, we have to recognize that conditions are conditions and they're always going to be there. And we can't take that as an indicator to not do something, mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of like what Jared said, like, for me, I'm, I find myself telling students these days, if you have to scream your way through it, then mm -hmm. you just got to scream your way through it and look crazy, but do it, you know? Um, so I, I think that's it. Like this idea of you're going to take the discomfort as an indication that you've arrived. And now your next step is to, is to walk through that smoke. You, right. you have to, you know, so whatever you need to do to figure out how to get more comfortable with just walking through, screaming through, step, making that, that step, do it because it's not going to go away. 
You know, we, we both can sit here and talk about things that we've done that we've been blessed enough to get the opportunity to do that have been anxiety provoking, you know, like people will see me get up and speak, but only Jared Pittman will know that I was in my room, like going over this screen, and like, <laughs> you know, but it's like, okay, when it's game time, scream your way through. So that's, that's where I would, that's what I would leave. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Nice. That's dope. Hey, this has been an amazing conversation. I know we could probably go on, and we we've had we've had these conversations before, right? Oh, yeah. We just talked for hours. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate you guys for coming on and sharing um, your message and your voice with our listeners. Uh, we appreciate the invite. That was really welcome. Yeah, don't don't wait so long for the next one, though. All right. Hey, we got you. Got, you. <laughs> got that jacket if you want to uh, I know you say it was a good fit for you back it was and it was a good fit <laughs> Chris man where can we find you at you can find me on Facebook at Christopher Lamont Cooper and on Instagram at Cooper T07 all right you guys can find me on Facebook at Jermichael Harris Instagram and Twitter at Counseling Live thank you all for listening this is Professional Culture good night good night, good night. Today's not over. 86,000 more seconds, it's a new day. What you think this was? Wrote up on a challenge and you think you're gonna walk away? Nah, time's on your side. Time is the reason that you are alive. Master your purpose, you master your time. Stay in the bed or you get up and cry where you watch it. I got to do this for my daddy who ain't living for my family and my county. Cause they told me that they counting on me. And I'ma make y'all proud. Days like this can't hold me down. Power in my voice, even more in my crown. Blue and rap did it now, I'll give you this.